reading of the scripture this morning. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is Philippians 3, verse 12 through 4, verse 1. Uh, it's on page one, 1166 of the Pew Bible. I'll give you a second to turn there. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think in this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this precious, precious word. It truly is a firm foundation, and we pray this morning, as the word is preached, that you would apply this word to our hearts. Would you work in us to make us more like Christ? And we ask all this in his precious name. Amen. Thanks, Wes. Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I see some new faces out there. My name's Aaron, one of the pastors here. Glad you've joined us. Uh, follow up on the Waldens. We will set up a meal thingy sign up thing uh, where I'll send it out this week and uh, they do live up in Barrie so if you do have plans to be up in that area or if you're like the Everlines and you live up there uh, you can sign up for a time that maybe is more convenient for your family but we would love to bless this family uh, who has blessed us significantly with some meals as they've welcomed uh, their fourth child into their home. Um, as we get into our text this morning in Philippians chapter 3, uh, I wanted to start by sharing a little bit of our family. I have two rules for our family, uh, two significant rules. Uh, if you know anything about our family, we love road trips. Rule number one on road trips, you are not allowed to ask, are we there yet? If we're not there, we're not there yet. Uh, also, you can check the GPS in front of you and see where we're at in the road trip. 
Rule number two, you can take this home with you because it's free. Uh, this week is th Thanksgiving, this Thursday. Christmas music and Christmas decorations start after Thursday. Thank you. I'll move on before I get kicked out of here. We like to finish things, don't we? We like to get to the finish line. We like to get to our destination. We like to enjoy the holiday. This morning, we'll get some more instructions from the Apostle Paul on how we get to our resurrection from the dead that he talked about last week. And we put forth effort to do that. We put forth effort with God's word. We put forth effort with God's people. And our actions related to those two things truly show who God's people are. And I think God has that for us this morning. So would you pray with me as we jump back into the scriptures? Father, we thank you for so many things that you've given to us. We've thanked you a lot this morning and we cannot thank you enough. And so we thank you that we get to gather as your people. We get, thank you that we get to be submitted to your word. God, we thank you that we got to sing your word. We got to hear your word. And now, God, I pray that you would help me to preach your word well, that my words would be your words for these people, for this day, for our joy, and for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in Philippians chapter three. Let's look again at verses 12 to 14. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Many of you might have thought of some of the things that we talked about last week related to our passage. He is reiterating and kind of showing us the same side of, or a different side of the same coin that we've seen last week and some other themes that we have seen in the book of Philippians. For God is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure that we saw in chapter two, that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. In light of that, that we don't rejoice in our past accomplishments, but we rejoice in looking forward at the gifts of God that we have before us. We strive to make our holiness, as we see this week, complete, knowing that God will complete it in the end. Where life is a race, right? We've all heard the adage that life is a marathon. And if you're a marathon runner or you've seen marathon runners, they're not very aggressive runners. But here, the language that Paul is using is that of a sprinter. It's not all make it eventually. I got all day, it's a marathon. It's I'm going to give it my all because Jesus has given his all for me. In, our, in Christ, as we saw last week, our salvation is one. 
by believing the gospel that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we are justified. We are counted righteous before God. We are now free from the penalty of sin. As we grow in our holiness, as we saw last week, we are striving to put to death that which is earthly in us. We are trusting that God is at work within us. Where our growth, our growth in holiness and our sanctification is freedom from sin's power. Our final salvation, our final resurrection from the dead that we saw last week is when we are free from the presence of sin when we are glorified like Christ is glorified. And Paul wants to assure this church that he's not perfect. He's a humble teacher. He acknowledges, I am not already there yet. But there are some who believe that you can achieve perfection in this life, in that day of Paul's time, but also in our world today. And it often starts with the belief that I did everything to accomplish my salvation, to believe the gospel. And there's no room in their theology for election or God's providence or God ordination of our salvation before the foundations of the world as Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter one. And when we start with, I can do this on my own, it leads to things like, well, I can finish this on my own. To where, where's God in this? I guess I don't really need God to get me to the end. The first four words of the Bible are in the beginning, God. Those words are God's actions that will sustain us, friends, to the end. And Paul reminds this church that he has not yet made it his own. He is not yet perfect, and that's okay. It's a marathon where we do sprint. Here we see our theme from last week again, forgetting what is behind us and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul didn't rest in his hereditary. He didn't rest in his religious privilege or his resume. He rested in Jesus' resume, receiving from Jesus the righteousness of God that comes from faith. A reminder from last week in Philippians chapter three, verse nine, where Paul says to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And the word here to take hold is, uh, some translations put it as to apprehend like a police officer would apprehend a criminal or to take hold of them, to grasp them so that they would not be able to get away. This is the language that Paul is using here where we take hold of Christ because Christ has taken hold of us. Charles Spurgeon, the great British preacher, said this about this passage. There is Christ's power by which he apprehends us. And there is the new power, the new life of God-given faith by which we, in our turn, seek to apprehend that for which Christ has apprehended us. Christ has apprehended us for a purpose. And we wish to realize that purpose even to the full. 
We, we have been apprehended by God, and so we have nothing to lose to seek to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And verse 14 in our text, it says, Paul calls us to press forward to the goal. When sprinters are running around the track, you know, they, they have the, maybe they're doing a 400, one lap around. They get around that last turn and they got about 50 yards, 50 meters left. They don't just say, okay, well, I'll keep going. No, they put in the extra efforts that they have. They lean forward to get across that finish line for the prize of the goal of winning. Who's tired in here from a, la from a long summer and fall? If you're anything like me, I am. Sometimes I wish the snow would just fall and we could be done with fall. But then Friday came. There was a little more moisture in the air and the temperature dropped and I said, I think I can wait a little bit longer for winter to come. But the point is that Life is hard. Life is tiring. Life is filled with obstacles and potholes. And I'm not saying that life is easy, but that's when we need the most reminders to continue to press forward. Keep going. Keep pressing. Keep striving. Keep putting forth effort. And this language picture is to show us that our prize is the call of God in Christ Jesus, where Christ's likeness is the goal. The high calling of holiness is seen throughout the New Testament, and it's tied to our salvation. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6, For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Peter says this in his letter, chapter two, it won't be on the screen, it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Remember last week, we used that illustration of the airplane where being in Christ is like being in the airplane, getting from one point, one destination to the other, where what happens to the plane happens to you, where we are loved because he is loved, where we are vindicated because he is vindicated. We are conquerors because he is conqueror. We are holy because he is holy. We are called to be in Christ and that initial call that we have to our salvation is for those in Christ. Everything is counted as loss, as Paul said last week. And as we finish up Philippians, I love seeing these themes over and over and seeing how each section connects to the overall story and the overall argument that Paul is making. Where Jesus is exalted, Jesus is everything. Jesus is ruling, Jesus is reigning. Jesus is building his church, Jesus is sustaining his church. Jesus, 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 Jesus is Paul's argument. 
And when everything is about Jesus, his people will be humble. When everything is about Jesus, his people will be submitted to his rule and reign and what he calls us to do. Where it's for our joy, friends, to become more like him. And so after Paul's summary statements, he now calls his people to two ways where we put forth effort, by God's word and with God's people. Let's look first at God's word, and we'll pick it back up in verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. If we are growing, friends, we will become more mature. And the mature, we submit ourselves to God's word. The Bible does not speak to everything, but it speaks to a lot. The Bible speaks to marriage, how husbands and wives are to relate to each other. The Bible speaks to parenting, to business endeavors, to caring and loving your neighbors, how we are to follow the government. Yes, I said how to follow the government. I didn't say to follow the government and everything. I said how to. So you can use that and have some fun Thanksgiving conversations around the dinner table. The Bible speaks directly to many things, but it alludes to other things. We don't need more self-help books, although some might be helpful. We don't need more parenting books, although some might be helpful. We don't need more books of five ways to have a better marriage, although some may be helpful. Friends, we need more Bible, first and foremost. Paul says if we think otherwise, if we think immaturely, that God will also reveal that to us. And friends, he reveals himself through his word. He speaks to us through the scriptures. He makes himself known to us in the Bible. And to think and act maturely, we must be in God's word consistently. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Friends, if we follow God's word and we let it lead us, what do lights do when we are walking down a path? It illuminates it. And we don't slip on the ice. We don't stumble our toe. We don't step in the mess the dog left in the walkway. We follow God's word. One author said something like this in her book about God's word. She says, God reveals himself in his word. He invites us to feast on him, abandoning the distractions that leave us empty. Eat what is good. God urges us to delight your soul in the riches of fair. You cannot love what you do not know. We feast on God by filling ourselves with God's word, meditation on his truths, seeking him in it, love him more deeply in it, he is our victory. He is our prize. We look for him, friends, on every page. He satisfies us. He grow, we grow as God's people by eating good, healthy food. And we grow as Christians by eating good, healthy scripture. Jesus said in John chapter six, 
I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus invites us, and so let's go to him, and let's grow in our maturity. The pastor who wrote the letter to the Hebrews says this about maturity. It might be a familiar passage for you. I'll read it for you. It's in Hebrews chapter 5 if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Hebrews 5, starting in verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God, another reference to the Bible. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Constant practice. So how do we grow in maturity? The Bible. How do we know if we're being immature? Same answer, the Bible. We press on to make it our own because Christ Jesus has made us his own. We hold true to what we have attained in verse 16. We hold true to the scriptures. We hold the line of the scriptures. We stay on the straight and narrow path as outlined in the scriptures. And this is marching language of holding true. Marching in step, marching forward together. In the church, there may be differences of opinions. I think we might have a couple in this room. There might be differences of preferences. There's differences of desires, but we move forward together. Like the Marines, you know, they march forward. They also may say something, I'm sure other branches of the military say it, where there's no man left behind, where we stick together. And Paul, he, see, he includes himself in this. He says, let us hold true to what we have attained. And so Cornerstone, let's hold true to what we have attained. In Pilgrim's Progress, the classic allegory of the Christian life, Christian is the main character, and he's on a journey to the celestial city. The, the allegory is that he's on his way to heaven. And eventually, the story picks up on Jesus' language in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, but those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This path in the story, as it's outlined by John Bunyan, is very narrow. It is difficult at times, where we must stay on the path. Along the way, there are men who come and try to tempt him, who are crooked. They tempt him to sin, to get off the path. But the path is straight, where no one comes to the Father except through this path. There are many paths that cross the main path. 
that can lead us off course. And we have to be aware of what those paths are and you see it in the story. And the way to be aware of it is to know God's word. Pilgrim's Progress also helps us with our next point in staying on the path where we put forth effort with God's people, where we have brothers and sisters who have gone before us, the apostles, the patriarchs, our brothers and sisters in this church, friends who have made it, and those folks, those folks that we saw in Genesis that just could not get out of their way, they made it even in their stumbling. Verses 17 to 18 help to explain this even more of how we help each other to grow in our maturity. Let's look at it again. Brothers, join in imitating me and keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Where we have had brothers and sisters who have gone before us, who can help us along the way. Maybe look around the room. There's a couple more gray hairs than others have. Those could be good people to ask to help you get down the path. We make it to the end and we will get there, friends, together. Think about mirrors and windows for a second. Mirrors you can see through, mirrors, I'm sorry, windows you see through, mirrors reflect what you are seeing. So windows, they look through. And think about the role of fathers. We talked about this a midweek, a few we, uh, months ago, where fathers, we are a window to look towards our Heavenly Father, where our kids see us and hopefully they see God, their Father, in heaven. Or husbands, where you're a window for your wife to see Christ. And the world to learn more about the bridegroom who laid down his life as a sacrifice for them. Mirrors, on the other hand, they reflect. Where we are imperfect, we are growing, and we need models to follow. And so we have brothers and sisters who have gone before us who can help us, and we can imitate them. As we look in a mirror, we can see their reflection. We can follow their example and imitate their way of life. And Paul calls our attention to focus on those who follow Christ like a mirror, where watch me, but also like a window, look through me, to Christ. So I want to do an experiment. I would like everybody in this room to raise their hand. I mean everybody. If you want to raise your kid's hand, that's fine too. Okay. Put down your hand if you have not had a hard day since March 18th, 2020. Okay. Anybody who put their hand down, whoever's next to him, raise it back up, please. Okay, look around the room. Everybody in here has had a hard day in the last year and a half. And I think you can put your hands down. So thanks for playing along with me. I'm glad my experiment worked. It's easy to look down, right? It's easy to look at our belly buttons and just say, it's a hard day. It's been a hard year a little bit harder to look up, to see your brothers and sisters around the room in your life, to fight for their holiness, to strain forward towards the goal, striving side by side, not against each other, 
with each other to move forward. Last week we saw baptisms. We had a great morning. It was so joyful, especially once I got that baptismal to stop leaking in the sanctuary. But what if we just mailed it in every week moving forward? where we never talked about Christian growth again, we never called people to baptism, we never called folks to Christian obedience. We might move forward a little bit, but it will be slow. It'll be hard. And that's why we call you to the things that we see in God's word. And we get to do this together. Paul calls out those who we shouldn't follow the counterfeits in verse 18, those who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And all of Paul's enemies that we have seen so far in Philippians are included in this group. From chapter one, those who preach from envy and rivalry and selfishness, thinking to inflict Paul, or last week, the Judaizers who require more for us to be saved than believing the gospel. Those who say, well, we've had a hard week where we don't need to go to midweek this week or we don't need to attend on Sunday morning. The distractors where it's okay, stay home. After a long and hard day that miraculously you feel much better when the Patriots game comes on the TV. Friends, we put forth effort with God's word. We put forth effort with each other. And Paul says those actions will show us who are truly God's people who will make it to full maturity. Let's pick it back up in verse 19. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul, as we see, has tears for these enemies, those who are not God's people. Paul weeps, weeps because of the impending destruction of the opponents to the gospel. There's an urgency here for Paul. These folks are in danger. They are in absolute antithesis to the examples that we've seen Paul call us to. They are enemies of the cross of Christ and everything that the cross of Christ stands for. They are not examples of efforts to follow. These enemies don't have a focus on the things of God or God's people. They are worshiping themselves. Verse 19 says their God with a lowercase g is their belly. Their glory is in their shame. They don't glory in Christ as we've seen multiple times in Philippians, but they have minds set on earthly things with the sensual pleasures of food, the things of this world that are gifts of God where they've exchanged good things that God has given us to become God things for them with the lowercase g. Good food, intimacy, your job, your family, all those are good gifts of God. 
But when they become our God, when they replace the God of the Bible, when we delight in them more than God himself, when we glory in them, when we choose them, merely good things over the best things, we miss out on the one ultimately who should get our glory, God alone. Where food is a blessing, it's a gift. Good food is awesome. And especially some of the food we will all have this Thursday evening with our friends and our families. But God does call us not to be gluttons. And I'm still trying to figure out a way where apple pie or pecan pie is not included in this opportunity for gluttony. Intimacy with your spouse is a blessing. It's a gift. And when we abuse it or we dishonor the name of Christ with it, it becomes a lowercase God. Our stuff, it doesn't matter how nice our stuff is, it's all a gift. And we approach the gifts of God as that he has entrusted with us as owners as opposed to stewards. We miss the point. Paul said he does not consider that he has made it his own. Our life is a marathon of growth where we set aside our preferences like manure that we saw last week. We strive together to follow Christ. But a life of consistent, unrepentant sin probably does not mean that you are part of God's family, but rather an enemy of God. A life that doesn't follow the examples in scripture, a life that doesn't follow the examples within the church, a life that doesn't follow the, what we see in the Bible submitted to Jesus might mean that you're not a Christian to begin with. And Paul has a dire warning for those that fall into that category. He says their end is destruction. Let's be honest. No one likes the word judgment. The Bible calls Christians to judge Christians, not those outside. God will take care of that. We call our, to base our judgment on Christians based on the standards of the Bible, but here ta Paul is talking about everyone's judgment before God, and some will be sent to destruction. We're all are judged at the end. We all will give an account for everything that we've done. All of us have sin, and God being holy, he needs to take an account for that sin, and he must punish sin. For those who believe the gospel that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God keeps his word. He forgives us of our sin as he punished his son on our behalf. But for those who don't believe, those who are these persistent enemies, they are judged on their own merits and the consequences of their sins fall on them to an everlasting punishment for all eternity. That's the destruction that Paul was referencing here this morning. And as opposed to us saying to God, as we saw on Wednesday, thy will be done. God says to us, fine, your will be done. You can reject God or you can believe God and believe the gospel. For those who reject, there's enemies and there's destruction. For those who believe, there's eternal 
life. And Paul is continuing to show us urgency. He is not just caring for the church, he is caring for those who are not part of the church. He's caring for those who are outside of the church, who might be in the hearing of this letter. Warning those of impending judgment is the most loving thing that we can do. We don't need to be jerks about it, but it's loving to tell other people about the consequences of sin and the free gift of grace that comes through Christ alone. Many are enemies and many will be destroyed. And let's, so, let's follow Paul's example and do this together. God is being patient with so many that can come to salvation. But salvation comes from hearing the gospel. And salvation comes from hearing the gospel from our mouths. So let's lift up our eyes and let's see that the fields are ripe for harvest all around us. But we have to look up. We have to speak up before God's patience runs out on the lost and dying around us for our friends, for our family, and maybe even some of those who will come to your homes or you will join them in their homes this Thursday evening. If you would like to talk about that, to get some things to talk about or questions that you would like to have answered, we would love to help you in that give you some tips to share, things to share from God's word related to the gospel. But those who aren't enemies, Paul continues, are shown to have a different ending. He says our citizenship is in heaven. And remember, we talked about this all the way back on week one where Philippi was a proud Roman colony. They were proud of their heritage like Paul was proud of his Jewish heritage. Their salvation and citizenship didn't matter though because it doesn't come from their heritage. Sorry, their, their citizenship is now in heaven. Their salvation is in heaven where God's people are a new people of God. First of all, friends, Christ has made us his own so we can acknowledge, like Paul, that we have not obtained perfection yet. We are not already perfect, but from heaven we await a savior. Where we've seen justification, we've seen sanctification, and here we see glorification, where we are looking forward, where we are saved completely from the presence of sin where we strive to put forth effort with God's word and with each other, and those who do this to the end, who endure and preserve or persevere, we await our greatest prize, which is Christ himself. And for those who are waiting, Paul says, it's our Lord Jesus Christ whom we await. Lord is not his first name and Christ is not his last name. These are titles of Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Lord means ruler or king or master, where he's in charge of everything. Like we saw Joseph in Pharaoh's court, he had rule and reign over everything that belonged to Pharaoh. He has authority to do as he pleases, and what pleases Jesus most, friends, is to save people from their sins to save them, to transform them completely and to the, the end from these frail bodies that we live in with no sickness, no pain, no suffering to be like his glorious body. 
And friends, all we have to do is respond in faith. Second Peter, Peter writes this letter in chapter three. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Christ is the same word for Messiah or anointed one. Like Elisha was anointed prophet or David was anointed king or Aaron was anointed priest, Jesus is the anointed prophet, priest, and king. In Philippians 1, Paul says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Messiah, Jesus Christ. It will happen. It will be completed and we can rest in that. But we can also strive in that. We can also proclaim the gospel in that. We put forth effort. We put forth effort with God's word. We put forth effort with God's people. And our actions show who God's people truly are. And so we stand firm. We see again in verse one of chapter four. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. The only way to truly know who are in Christ is to make it to the end. And I'm not saying that should worry us, but for those who do not follow and make it to the end, there's another, sorry, for those who do follow and make it to the end, there's another joyful expression from Paul here in this verse. He calls them brothers again. He has affection for this family of believers and he calls them to steadfastness in light of that. Back in chapter one, Paul called this church to stand firm and strive side by side for the sake of the gospel where we fight together, not against each other, we fight with each other to move forward for each other's holiness, for each other's growth. And we stand in him. Where Jesus is victorious, we are victorious. As he has won, we will win. As he has conquered our greatest enemies of Satan and sin and death, in the end we will conquer and be delivered from the presence of all of that. It might be a struggle, but in the end it will be completed. It will be finished and we get to help each other make it down the straight and narrow path. Hebrews chapter three and verse 12 to 14. The pastor who wrote this letter to these Christians says, take care brothers, lest there be in you any, sorry, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. In the beginning, God. That is where the scriptures start. For those who are in Christ, that is where our salvation starts. But also as a reminder, in the end, God. He will bring it 
to completion. He, that which he started, he will finish in us. So we can stand firm. We can imitate those who have gone before us. We can strive for holiness as laid out in God's word and we can help each other to make it to the end. And so let's stand and I will pray with us as the worship team comes back up and we will sing some more about who God is and what he does, has done for us and he deserves all of our worship. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. God, this world we live in, this life we live is challenging, and so we thank you that we have your word to direct us and guide us, and we, if we're honest, we uh, don't believe it all the time. And so God, in our belief, would you help our unbelief? God, would you put friends and this church around us to help us to make it to the end? God, we desire to worship you. We desire to give you the glory that you deserve. We, God, we desire to make it to the end. And so help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.